We're delighted to share with you another special presentation from a live forum. It is part of a series of live talks organized in collaboration between Mind and Soul Matters and Melville Baha'i Community to discuss issues around mental health in our society. I will leave the introduction of our presenters to Dr. Dina Ashurian, MC of the forum. The format of this forum is slightly different, with three questions being posed by our MC to the three panelists on exploring the role of faith, particularly in their practice as medical doctors. This special episode doesn't directly address mental health challenges, but there are indirect links and an interesting discussion nevertheless. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Dina Shurian, and I'll be the MC for this afternoon. I'd like to start with some acknowledgements. So I'd like to acknowledge the Wajak Nunga people and their families to the north, to the east and south, and recognize the continuing connection to land, water and sky. We pay our respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. Baha'i communities all over the world are working to engage in social discourses on topics that are impacting our communities and the society at large. Today's forum has a focus on the role of faith and its impact on mental health. Our panelists today are all physicians, and something else that they all have in common as well as their profession, is that they're active members of their respective faith communities. We are increasingly seeing researchers exploring and acknowledging the overlap between spirituality and mental health. Today, we will explore the impact that some expressions of spirituality and faith can have as part of an integrative approach to understanding mental health and well-being. Dr. Kynan Feeney is our first panelist. Dr. Kynan is a medical oncologist uh, working at St. John of God Hospital in Murdoch. He serves as the head of Department for Oncology, Hematology, and Palliative Care, and serves on the hospital's Medical Advisory Committee. He also holds adjunct professor positions at Notre Dame and Edith Cowan Universities, and his research experience spans public health, infectious diseases, and cancer clinical trials. Kynan is also an active member of the Baha'i community, where he has served in a variety of institutional capacities and tutored numerous study groups. He has also recently promoted projects relating to discourses around the issues of mental well-being, spirituality, and health. Our next panelist is Dr. Ashwini. She looks like a flower, so we decided to put her in the middle, <laughs> the flower in the middle. Dr. Ashwini Davre. She graduated with an MBBS in India and moved to the U.S. to complete her MD from Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York. It was while working in New Zealand that she developed an interest in pursuing palliative medicine. On moving to Australia in 2003, she trained in palliative medicine and was the head of department of the palliative care unit in Bethesda Hospital. She has worked with UWA as the associate professor of palliative medicine and currently works at Hollywood Private Hospital. She practices the Hindu faith. And finally, we have Dr. Michael Crouch. Dr. Michael is a medical graduate from UWA. 
After qualifying as a GP, he took time out from his career to pursue further postgraduate studies in theology, eventually earning a master's in theology at Regent College in Vancouver, Canada. He combines part-time medical practice with part-time voluntary teaching and preaching duties in his local church as a licensed lay pastoral minister at St. Barnabas Anglican Church in West Leaderville. Apart from professional interests in travel medicine and child health, he enjoys time in the outdoors with his family. He has an amateur interest in the influence of Christian theology on the historical development of the modern and postmodern worldview, particularly as it intersects with the development of the modern mindset underlying science and medicine. So we have quite a variety of panelists here today, and it will be a very interesting forum today because we're going to present different questions to them, and then we'll take turns in getting them to answer each of those three questions. So the first question that I'm going to pose to our panelists is, how does your faith positively impact your practice? I might start with Dr. Kynan first. So the first thing I wanted to say was some, maybe some of you don't know much about Baha'i faith. So if you'd indulge me a little bit as a brief introduction for those that perhaps are not as familiar. So the fundamental tenets of the Baha'i faith, the recognition of the essential and organic oneness of humanity, we recognize that we're all one. Uh, the progressive revelation of God's will to humanity through manifestations of God. You may know these people as uh, Krishna, Jesus Christ, Baha'u'llah. Over time, as civilization has evolved, but the permanence of the human spirit, which is a really important thing for us in the medical field, and considering work and the spirit of service to others as worship of God. And that's something I'll touch on. So faith is, a, is an interesting thing. I'm going to talk about faith and, and healing and health. There is a writing in the Baha'i Faith that I meditate on, and it says, Ye shall be hindered from loving me, and souls shall be perturbed as they make mention of me, for minds cannot grasp me, nor hearts contain me. So I think that is one of the essences of faith, is that there is a certain element in our life that we can't always fully grasp or contain or understand. So we have to have this leap, this leap forward of, of believing or of adhering. For me in medicine, there's multiple aspects to this concept of faith and, and practice and healing. The one I'd like to focus on really is faith and service. Because in the Baha'i faith, this is a very important aspect of the way that we all act as human beings, not just in medicine. First of all, it orientates our motivations. One of the central figures of the Baha'i faith gave a talk once about, who was actually talking about this concept of faith. And I found it very intriguing because it was people were asking him, what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to be a believer? And he said, all over the world, one hears beautiful stayings, extolled and noble precepts admired. All men say they love what is good and hate everything that is evil. Faith is a virtue and treachery is a disgrace to humanity. But these sayings are but words and we see very few of them carried into the world of action. Therefore strive that your actions 
day by day, maybe beautiful prayers. It goes on. I'm just going to stop for a second. The reason that's important is that in the Baha'i faith, work done in the spirit of service is an act of worship. So we are actually worshipping our Creator when we see our Creator and our fellow man. When we are helping each other, when we are serving each other with that, that level of love for each other, seeing each other oneness, seeing each other through this action, I'm actually worshipping. And that's a very important part, I think, of all of our lives, in our work and in our everyday endeavours. But, of course, in medicine it's incredibly important because we are in a position of great authority and privilege, and our patients are very vulnerable. They rely upon us to be trustworthy. They rely on us to, to do the right thing by their patients, to make the right decisions, to be competent as well, to make sure that we're up to date, to make sure that we're doing the right thing. So then the talk goes on and says, turn towards God and seek to do that which is right and noble. And then these beautiful examples come out. Enrich the poor, raise the fallen, comfort the sorrowful, bring healing to the sick, reassure the fearful, rescue the oppressed, bring hope to the hopeless, shelter the destitute. This is the work of a true Baha'i. So for me, for me and my faith, I go about my work every day thinking I have to do the best that I can for that human, that person in front of me, because that's what is required of a Baha'i. The second beautiful thing in one of the things in the Baha'i writings, which is amazing because it actually gives the example of a physician, is this concept of freedom from prejudice. Now, this is subtle. I know it's related. But every day around us we see prejudice. It says here that all effort and exertion put forth by man from the fullness of his heart is worship, if it's promoted by the highest motives and the will to do service to humanity. This is worship, to serve mankind and administer the needs of the people. A physician, ministering to the sick, gently, tenderly, free from prejudice, and believing in the solidarity of the human race, he is giving praise. The solidarity of the human race. So hopefully that's what I try to do. I actually have this quote actually in my calendar and my iPhone and it comes up every Wednesday morning as a reminder midway through my week to just reorientate me. Just remember this is what you're doing every day. So this is one of my regular meditations. Thanks, Kynan. So just to remind you again, the question was how does your faith positively impact your practice? Thank you for sharing all those quotes and your perspective on how your faith informs your practice. And now that was good. Thank you. We'll go on to Dr. Ashwini now. Could you address that question? Thank you, Dina. Thank you very much, Kanan. That was uh, quite interesting. And I found myself resonating with a lot of things that you were talking about, which really goes to show that all faiths have the same values and the same value systems. So in my line of practice, I'm a palliative medicine and I deal with a lot of patients who essentially are mostly towards end of life. I see a lot of grief. I see a lot of loss. Uh, young mothers leaving their children, uh, children dying in arms of their parents. So it is a very highly emotionally charged speciality. The Hindu philosophy, Hinduism is not a dogmatic religion. It's a way of life. Our sacred holy book is the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, 
which is in fact a conversation between Lord Krishna and his disciple Arjun. And in that, Lord Krishna talks about the continuity of life, that death is not an end. It is just the soul which is immortal and eternal, shedding a body and being ready to be born into a new one. So this soul, it's like when we get rid of our old clothes and don new ones. It's almost like that. So the soul has now finished its journey in that body. The body is now diseased and tired and the soul now needs to move on. So this concept gives me a lot of benefit in the fact that I recognize the continuity of life. And oftentimes, during our meetings that we discuss our bereaved families and patients, I tend to call back on this concept and remember that life is eternal and a phase of one journey has finished and another phase is about to begin. So I hold that quite dear. The other concept is the concept of dharma. Now, the Gita happened, or rather was the conversation happened in the midst of the, at the beginning actually, of the great war of Kurukshetra between two sets of warring cousins. And here was the great warrior Arjuna sitting in his chariot and Lord Krishna was his charioteer. And Arjuna looks at the opposite side of the battlefield and sees all his kith and kin. And he questions Lord Krishna that this is not what I set out to do. I can't raise my arms on my own kith and kin. He becomes extremely despondent, dejected and declines to fight. So then Lord Krishna reminds him of his dharma, of a warrior to ensure the victory of good over evil. And this is then ultimately makes Arjuna get up and fight the war and win it. So dharma is a concept which is uh, not able to be translated by one single word in English. But it, if you say it's a combination of duty, purpose, calling and service. And I find myself very fortunate and grateful to have found my dharma in palliative care. So when I go out and when I am seeing patients, that is almost like worship to me. I'm not a regular follower of going into the temple every day or every week. I believe that temple is in your heart. And as long as you remember that the person in front of you also has that flame of eternity in them and respect that. That is true worship. Thank you. Wow. Um, I have to find fine words to compare. Those two cousins weren't Christians by any chance, were they? Uh, no? Oh. They could have been. Uh, so I... I 
I'm looking across the room. I think I'm probably the oldest member up here. My journey in medicine probably goes back a little bit further. I had become a Christian very probably around year 12 was the time I, I actually took that step and, and, and made that commitment to Christ. And then without any really clear idea of what in the world I was doing, I signed up to do medicine on, on no more than the inkling that what I discovered in Christianity was its essential uh, relationality. And, of course, you know, I was 17. What did I know about being relational or caring for anybody? But I, th that has held true uh, over the years. Uh, the essence of Christian faith is that faith is uh, much more a verb uh, in the New Testament than it ever is a noun. So it's something you do rather than something you have. It's not passive. Um, and faith is always faith in Jesus Christ. And so so the essence of Christianity is, is the God who is revealing himself as relational and that's really important because i think the western and modern framework of medicine tends to be technological and we move on very quickly from the personal my son who's just graduated from medicine and uh, i tried to dissuade him from medicine but i didn't manage to uh, i was trying to round this up for him he's determined to go and become a physician not a gp and i guess one of the things i found myself rounding up for him was how easy it would be to be uh, drawn away by the technology of medicine and what's possible and forget the very uh, relational nature of medicine so I, I think that's what i like about general practice is the technology is bit lower than what you guys do uh, but it's 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 still thoroughly relational um, general practice is kind of palliative care really it's just our patients are taking a lot longer to die <laughs> so you are you're on this journey with people for a for a long time and very often there isn't that much you can do for them. You Actually, you become, for many of your patients, a friend. You know, they come in and out. You get to know their families. Uh, I'm now in that great position where uh, some of the little people that used to come and see me are now bringing their little people to see me. Uh, that, that's really special. You, you become part of the journey. For some of your old, lonely patients, you become kind of the highlight of the week, uh, coming in to chat to your GP. It's tempting to let the busyness of the day grab hold of me and, you know, get flustered about all that has to be done. Uh, the thing that I'm always struggling with is, you know, this, this is about the relation of the, the person in front of me. That's that's the essence, you know, when, when the Bible says, uh, for God so loved the world, uh, you know, that's an important verse for Christians because that sets the mission of Jesus as bearing God's love for people at the centre of what the cross and the resurrection was about. Christianity is a dogmatic religion, but we kind of, you know, we, we all round up around that however much we all start to argue about all the other bits. So, yeah, as a Christian GP, I suppose then the thing that gets me out to work every day is the remembrance, as both hinted at here, that the work is about loving your neighbour. So if you were to sum up the ethics of the Christian religion, time and again in the New Testament, the church community is meant to be an expression of God's love by demonstrating that love amongst themselves and for the world. So love for neighbour is the basic thing I, I have to remember that I'm practising every day. So that's where certainly where my faith as a personal faith comes into play. But in terms of Christian doctrine, that, that would underpin what we're doing. And historically, I think it would be true to say in those traditions from which we get the modern practice of medicine from the monastic movement, that was what was compelling them forwards. That, that was their basic mission.
you. Thank you for sharing how your faith, your respective faiths um, inform your practice. There seems to be a lot of commonality in in how you approach your practice and how you feel about being those patients day in, day out. <laughs> so our next question to the panelists is how can faith impact a patient's recovery journey? So looking at the other side of practice. And I might ask Dr. Ashwini to start off this time around. That's okay. In my experience, Dina, what I have found is that when patients have a faith, it is easier to broach the subjects of death and dying with them. It's easier to have the conversations. And however, we are, we are not lucky all the time that people have the faith that we can talk to them about. But one of the things that I have noticed is that when we talk, when patients have faith, with the faith comes a community which supports the patients and their families. As an example, I had a patient who had migrated to Perth five years before his diagnosis from South Africa. So obviously it was a new family, new surroundings, and he had this diagnosis. It was amazing to see this entire church community around this person and the family. So the patient and his wife were in the hospital while the children were being picked up, lunches were being delivered, dinners were being delivered, and the wife could actually spend time with her husband. And that that is the amazing thing that comes with faith. But oftentimes... Each patient is an individual, and sometimes it is very hard for that individual to process the information about what's happening with them medically and related to their faith. And I do find that this area, a lot depends on what the patient, what their own experiences have been. I had a patient who was an atheist, but he believed in general spirituality and he loved the outdoors. He loved nature. And he said to me that, I know what will happen eventually. I will be back in the nature, back in the soil. And that gave him a lot of comfort. So I feel that more than faith, I think if there is a general spirituality that a patient possesses, it's easier for them to process understand, and go through that journey. Yes, so because in general practice we're often doing a lot more social medicine or medicine in the context of people's social setting, emotional setting, very often what we're dealing with is the person and the chaos that uh, an illness might bring to their situation, much less so than we're dealing with the medicine of the situation. I find we live in an age where, where there's a couple of follow-ons from the secular age we live in. One is this lack of community uh, where uh, certainly in the Western world, you know, a generation or two ago in Australia, church would have formed some kind of centre of community for most people. Uh, that's gone for most people. And the dilemma of many lives that I meet is, is that they are simply disconnected. And when you consider how rapidly Perth is growing and growing from not just overseas migrants but eastern states migrants, many of those people have 
nobody. And, you know, occasionally I'll ask someone who's in a bit of a desperate state, like, you know, what community you have around? Do you belong to some kind of faith community? And, and they don't. And I'm always surprised at how few people they have around them. The other aspect of that is the personal sense that, that in, in uh, the thoroughly secular scientific world we live in, people don't have a transcendent framework anymore. So they, they often don't have a way of creating meaning for themselves. There is no meaning to their life other than the moment. And so no way to process suffering, no way to process sickness, no way to process the idea of death. Not that I think those things are easier because you have a faith, they're still difficult, but people end up in a lot of existential despair, I think, because they don't have a way to frame those things and have even a discussion about them. And so from a patient's perspective, I think faith helps. I hope when I come to spend more time as a patient, uh, it, I'll, I'll do better than some folk I've seen. But yeah, I, th- I think those would be the two big things that I, I, I would, would say about faith from a patient perspective, yeah. I was actually going to start with this quote. <laughs> you both talked about it, about this quote, but I thought, I think it's actually really good for everyone to remember we're all going to be sick one day. N- none of us stay well forever. And it's really important to, to remember that when you're sick, to have people come and bring you joy and happiness and encouragement and even practical things is such a wonderful thing. The, the Baha'i Rains are replete with uh, admonitions of this description, so I won't go into that too much more. I think also we have to look at faith in two ways. One is the faith one has that helps one go through the shadow of the valley of darkness and how difficult it can be to walk these difficult paths, and sometimes that can certainly be very helpful to have faith. Faith is also, in a sense, both belief and purpose. So it provides us a context, as Michael's intimated, in terms of how we understand the world, but it also provides us a belief system. Now, the literature, the scientific literature about this is very early and it's very nascent. But from what we can glean from it, there is an incredible connection between the mind and the body. Now, the mind is not the spirit, it's separate, but there is a connection by that too. So certainly we can see there is a powerful connection between the mind and the body, and we can see that every day in, in, in clinical practice. Whilst I'm not saying that you can pray your cancer away or you can just believe it and it will happen, by no means. That That is not the implications there, but there is a certain interaction that happens. The reason that's important to emphasize is that we should never get into the uh, trap of in any way anyone feeling that if something happens to them, whether it be an illness or other such calamity that befalls um, all of us at some stage, that we should in any way attribute to like a lack of faith or a lack of spirituality because I think those things are very unrelated. You know, bad things happen to good people. You know, and, and we should really be careful because, you know, we can be a little bit too puritanical sometimes. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, we would do that, but that is a trap that when we're looking at the concept of faith and patience that we just don't want to in any way lay, lay any sort of burden on them that they should feel that, you know, with more faith or more belief that they could overcome things. But I think from a physician's perspective and from a patient's perspective, it's important to, to provide hope and to provide joy, and to provide comfort, because those things definitely help. 
I've seen it many times. I've seen it many times in my clinical practice, and I've also seen it in my own personal life. You know, if you have a positive belief, if you believe something strongly, if you have reassurance and hope, it has a definite, definite physical effect on you as well as a spiritual effect. So I think those two things are, are, are related. You've probably heard of this thing called the placebo effect. So the placebo effect is basically that you believe that you're getting something, therefore it has an effect. Uh, we do that in our clinical trials, for example. So most of our trials are what we call placebo controlled or they're controlled with like a, a standard treatment and then we add something in. In oncology, we still do that even though we don't think that a belief in, in, a, in the virtue of a treatment will necessarily have a strong impact on the cancer's treatment. But it does definitely on quality of life, which is a huge measurement outcome of uh, oncological drugs these days. There's no point curing or tr having someone live longer if they're, you know, suffering and they're having an awful life. So that's a big part of it. And if you think you're getting something that will benefit you, it really, really seems to buoy you. You can put up with so many things when you have that positive belief. And we know that in some studies, the placebo effect could be even 50% or 70% of the treatment. We see that a lot in pain medicine. Uh, we see that a lot in some chronic conditions that have definitely a neurological element. So we can see that there is definitely this influence up here that has an influence on the body. But how it always relates, why it relates in some and not others is still complicated. And I think the scientific literature is definitely still working that out, you know. Um, but that, those are the things I thought were probably uh, relevant in that regards. Mm. How do you see the interaction between spiritual concepts and material means in the recovery journey? So the interplay between spiritual concepts and material means in recovering. I might ask Michael to address that one first. Yeah, thanks. That's the hardest question. <laughs> Save the hardest for the last. <laughs> In some ways, this is, I find this is a bit of the, this is the struggle of medicine as it's been conceived as a, a kind of a child of the enlightenment and a child of science, where science is very kind of reductionistic. You know, we deal with the biological, everything must have a biological explanation. The person is no more than the sum of, you know, biological processes, and that's what we treat. Again, the reality is we don't have that in front of us. We have, a person and I, I guess as a GP we have less less technology in our hands than we have these days probably counseling in our hands and uh, again journeying with people but yeah I, I have to say I struggled I struggled most with this question trying to figure out how how does a Christian faith inform um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to weigh in and, and, and say, you, you know, historically the birth of science takes place in, in, in kind of the cradle of Christian thinking. It, it's very much, you know, the technology that ancient Greece had that was held in the, the Byzantine world, was held in the Islamic world, didn't flower until it hit the Western world, and and more than one historian, and to be fair, not necessarily Christian historians will say that's because it then came in contact with a particular framework. And I suppose what what particularly about the Christian framework stood out that was different to those previous frameworks, and certainly different to the Greek framework, 
was the idea that not only is creation good, so unlike the Greek, you know, dualism and Platonism that said, you know, materialist stuff is bad, we want to be done with material stuff, really we want our souls to be liberated and quit the body, that's what we're after. Christianity had a different take. Uh, No, actually, God created the world, said it was good, said humans were very good. The essence of Christianity is, is the resurrection of Jesus with the hope that follows of a bodily resurrection to come. Therefore, the body's valuable, creation's valuable. It's good to look at these things. It's, it's, you know, we'll learn something useful. Uh, it might be worshipful to look at these things. So in many ways, Christianity gives uh, science a bit of a push start. Where it goes after that gets a bit crazy, but somewhere along the line, uh, scientists began to go, oh, we think we can do this without God, actually. I mean, we think we can... You know, we don't need God to explain things anymore. And so it quickly becomes, there becomes this diversion between science and, and Christianity, science and faith, which has always been a little bit tricky ever since. You know, medicine, I think, continues to attract people who have, certainly have a Christian faith, certainly have other faiths because they have that sense of meaning and because they want to integrate these things because generally they've got a sense of what it is to go and care for people. I don't know how well we do sometimes of bringing those two things together and how much uh, we end up living a bifurcated life where there's medicine over here and we've got all this stuff we do and then there's faith over here and I'm not really sure how I'm going to connect those together. So I'm going to be really interested to hear what these guys say. So it's interesting as an oncologist because we occasionally, and Sanjay can testify to this, another one of my senior oncology colleagues, we occasionally get people, even though Mike, you talked about, you know, this dichotomous sort of split, you know, so Cartesian logic, there's spirit, there's mind, there's material, there's, there's other stuff. But we still come across people that are reluctant to seek medical help and reluctant to seek treatment. And that, that is a lot more prevalent, I think, in diseases that have a certain degree of fear and anxiety, and certainly the big C is one of them. Sanjay and I will have many examples that we can share of people that have come a little too late where we could have really have cured them of that condition, but now it's, you know, they've let things really go. And sometimes it's not just in subtle ways. You know, there are really unsubtle examples where that, that occurs. And the Baha'i writings say very clearly that there is nothing wrong with science and material means. You know, we, we need to embrace those things because they enrich our lives. In fact, there is a direct admonition here which says, resort ye in times of sickness to competent physicians. We have not set aside the use of material means. Rather, we have confirmed it through this pen. So there doesn't need, I don't think there needs to be any sense that there needs to be any separation by practicing our medicine and our science to the best of our ability is a very important part of expression of our spirituality and also the way that we can reinforce our spiritual concepts because the way that we can express faith and love is, I think, through being excellent in what we do, through being attentive, through putting our patients' needs first rather than our needs. For example, as you know, there's awful examples in the media and history of physicians that have used patients second and their material means first. 
by not being professional, by not putting their needs first. And then this, of course, erodes people's trust, you know, in the medical profession. Luckily, there's enough good doctors around that I think generally people still trust us to a degree. The other thing is that there is a, there's definitely, I think, a certain element to the spiritual and material in the way that they're combined. There is a beautiful advice. So there was a doctor who wrote to one of the central figures of the Baha'i faith as to how he can incorporate these things together. So I'll just read. It's a very short reply. So there was a reply to this letter, and it starts, Oh, thou distinguished physician. Isn't that nice? (laughs) (laughs) Praise be to God that thou hast two powers, one to undertake physical healing and the other spiritual healing. Matters related to man's spirit have a great effect on his bodily condition. For instance, thou should impart gladness to thy patient, give him comfort and joy. How often hath it occurred that this hath caused early recovery? Therefore treat thou the sick with both powers. And it goes on. But that's the general theme. You know, that there's this interconnection between spirit and, and material means that we should utilize and, and promote. I'm known as a bit of a joker around the cancer center. And the reason is, is that it, it brings encouragement to the staff. And also, I think it's important for patients to also feel a sense of relaxation and, and even happiness and joy, even though they are having often very difficult and stressful circumstances. Many times I've seen patients that are stressed and upset. They react worse to their treatment get more nausea, more vomiting, etc. And when they're more relaxed, it often it just goes a lot more smoother. But that's just a simple analogy. But, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to, to joke around in a cancer center. But, you know, sometimes you just have to try and make your patients smile and make them just feel a bit more relaxed. And I really believe that has a, a relaxing influence on them. Because this is the last question, I just wanted to finish with one of my favorite um, passages about faith, that it's really hard. I think faith is really hard. It's maybe easy for some of the other people, like these two lovely people here, but I think it, it gets tested. And I think it's um, something that you have to live with really for your whole life as a member of a religious community. And it, and it can, it can go up and down. It can wax and wane, but there's a beautiful encouragement about faith as it, as it relates to us. So. This is a beautiful uh, historical talk, very last talk that one of the central figures of Baha'i Faith gave to this community that he was leaving, never to see them again, unfortunately, towards the end of his life. So he gave this as a very last admonition, sort of like very last encouragement. He said, And now I give you a commandment that shall be for a covenant between you and me, that you have faith, that your faith be steadfast as a rock, that no earthly storms can move, that nothing can disturb that it endure through all things even to the end. As you have faith, so shall your powers and blessings be. This is the balance. This is the balance. This is the balance. Wow. Last question. And I have to follow these two lovely people who spoke so eloquently. This question kind of stumped me a little bit. I'm going to start off with a possibly a little bit of what Kainan said about jokes. And of course, what Michael said about the fact that science and faith have become disconnected when in fact 
science and faith have the same foundation, which is the interaction of the mind and the body. So as part of my work, when I do consultations across the hospital, I'm asked to engage in difficult conversations with patients, conversations about their goals of care, conversations about whether to switch an implanted defibrillator, etc. So there was this elderly lady about 88 years of age who was constantly coming into the hospital because of heart failure. And she had an ICD, an implantable defibrillator that was obviously keeping her alive. And the cardiologist had interrogated the defibrillator and found that it had fired about eight times in the past two months, which literally means that her heart was not doing well. However, Mrs. Jones was not ready to switch the defibrillator off. So I went and spoke to her and I was talking to her about what does she feel about where she's at with her illness? And she said to me, Doc, the good Lord, when he calls me, it will be time for me to go. And I said, Mrs. Jones, the good Lord called you eight times in the past two months. It was actually we who were keeping you away from him. <laughs> but mind and body are definitely connected. And in fact, in the Gita, in one of the conversations, Lord Krishna asks Arjuna, what is the fastest thing in this universe? Of course, now we have a lot more faster things than chariots and things. So, I mean, even in this day and age, we would say the rocket, we would say, you know, somebody would talk about a fast car. But Lord Krishna said, the fastest is your mind. And that is so true. If you think about it, it is so hard for us to control our mind. You know, we are sitting listening to a lecture and suddenly the mind wanders off somewhere and you have to bring it back. And that's what Hinduism is all about. It's about controlling your mind, centering yourself. When I was little, I would always watch my grandpa getting up, you know, at the crack of dawn and then he would be in all sorts of different yoga poses and then, of course, he would meditate. And I would ask him, why are you meditating? He was a lawyer. And he said to me, I meditate because it is the way to center your mind, to begin your day's proceedings. Very many years down the road, when I started doing palliative medicine and learned more about pain, we learned about the fact how we experience pain. The International Association for Study of Pain defines pain as an experience, which is a bit surprising. I mean, pain is pain, but it's an experience. It is so much more than just the physical pain. It is what is happening around the patient, the psyche of the patient. The patient may be going through a difficult divorce, may be very anxious, which will make the experience of pain that much more. And that is a concept of total pain. So when we deal with patients, of course, in medicine, we are taught to get a good social history, as you would know. But the social history needs to be a bit more in-depth. And it's very hard in the first consultation to really go into the bottom of what is the patient really all about? 
But by second consultation, you're kind of, you know, that, you know, this is what's happening. And we have a team. I'm very fortunate to work with a beautiful team of nurses, doctors, uh, social workers, and chaplains. Our chaplain, unfortunately, retired towards the end of last year. But I, I miss her because she was such a valued member of the team. And I, I still remember when I would come out of the patient's rooms, she would go in and bring in such a, such a calming influence on the patient. And so there was an atmosphere of healing around the patient. I really believe that it's important to have a whole milieu of healing around us, ensuring that we are not only making sure that we are dealing with the scientific aspects of dealing with the pain with pain medications, but also trying to understand what is the psyche of the patient and how can we help the patient experience less pain. To me, I felt that's the interaction between mind and body, faith and science. Thank you very much to our three panelists who answered that slightly difficult question with so much insight. Sharing about faith is quite personal, but you did it so beautifully, all three of you, answering the question around the interplay between science and religion. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank the Melville Baha'i community for sponsoring this event. And finally, I want to say a very big thank you to our panelists. They all say they're not public speakers, but I actually think they did an amazing job uh, of being a public speaker today and speaking about very personal practices, their practices, physicians, and also the role that their um, respective faiths play in their practices. If you found today's episode useful, remember to share an episode with a friend and follow Mind and Soul Matters on your preferred podcast platform and on social media. Look forward to your company next time on Mind and Soul Matters. Mm -hmm.